us. And I pray now that you would apply them into our hearts and minds. I pray for the comforting work of the Holy Spirit. I pray for the strengthening work of the Holy Spirit. I pray for the confidence-giving encouragement of the Holy Spirit for all who are here, all who are listening, all who are watching, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in the world. What's our relationship with the world? That's really the issue that's in question in today's passage. What kind of a relationship do you have with people who are in the world? As I've been reflecting on that question this week, it occurs to me that the guy who's writing this letter, the Apostle John, he was prepared for this exact situation about 60 years earlier. He's writing probably around A.D. 90. John was one of the apostles, and he was with Jesus in the early 30s of that century when Jesus was, was doing his public ministry. And John heard Jesus teach. John recorded his teaching in the Gospel of John. And one of the things that Jesus said that John records for us, I think, frames this passage and helps sort of locate it for them and for us. Jesus says this to his followers. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, what's he talking about? When Jesus says this, the word that he's using here is cosmos. And this word can be used in different ways. What he's not talking about in the context of, 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 of this and what, what uh, uh, John is not referring to as he's writing in our passage is the world in the sense of the earth, the universe, the physical creation. Now, you can have tribulation and trouble in the physical world, can't you? There can be tornadoes and there can be ice storms and snowstorms and, that come unexpectedly and those kinds of things. But that's not the kind of tribulation he's talking about. Because the world, as Jesus is talking about it there in John 16, and as John is talking about it in our passage here, the world is civilization. It's that kind of world. It's the, it's the society that we live in, the cultures that make up the people of the world. And in particular, it's humanity living in rebellion against God. It's humanity that's moved out from under the kingship of God and is living on their own terms. Jesus is teaching that his people who come out of the kingdom of that world and come into his kingdom, he's saying, look, disciples, you're gonna have two simultaneous experiences as you go through your life following Jesus. You're gonna experience tribulation. In the world, you'll have tribulation. You're gonna experience the victory of Christ. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So you're gonna experience both of those things all the time. It might look different in different cultures and different places at different times, but you can expect as a Christian that you are going to and probably are right now experiencing to some degree conflict and confidence, opposition and peace. You have reasons to be alert and concerned. You're in the world. You have reasons to have hope. Christ has overcome the world. 
Now, John saw this work out in Jesus' life. Jesus had tribulation. He was rejected by his own people, the Jewish people. He was rejected by the Romans. He told the, pilot, the, 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 the Roman leader, not the pilot, told Pilate, the governor of that area, he said, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was in the world, but he wasn't of the world, and he was bringing a kingdom that was a different kind of kingdom, and that world that Jesus lived in killed him. That's tribulation. It's the kingdom of this world. We live in that same world. But Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? As we just delighted to sing about a moment ago, he rose from the dead. He overcame the temptations of the world. He overcame the devil's lies. He conquered death. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to his followers so that we too could overcome. And John then, as a disciple, has the same experience of tribulation and overcoming. Think about what he experienced. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. What happens? Peter gets up to preach. John is right there with him. And you know what happens? People say, oh, those guys are just drunk. Tribulation. Others, people say, what do we need to do to be saved? The power of the gospel, overcoming, right? Later, there's this persecution that arises. Thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem have become Christians. But then Stephen is martyred and killed for his faith. And this persecution arises and it says they were all scattered. Thousands of Christians had to go find new places to live. That's tribulation. And you know what happened when they did that? They talked about Jesus. They went about preaching the word. That's overcoming. That's how life in the world works. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. And you are here to overcome in his power. We still live in the world. There's still trouble, isn't there? And there's still victory and confidence too. So today's passage sharpens the focus of the kind of trouble to a particular kind of trouble and the kind of overcoming to a particular kind of overcoming. The particular trouble that's in view here is the trouble of false teaching and false teachers. And the particular overcoming is an assurance and a confidence that we are of God and have the spirit and can find our way through. So John's readers, what he's saying in this passage is, look, because you live in the world, you need discernment Sort out the true teaching of who Jesus really is and what it means to be a Christian. And you need confidence that it's not all on you to figure it out because you belong to God and God the Spirit has come to dwell in you. That's what's coming in this passage. Since you live in the world, you need discernment and confidence. God wants to strengthen both of those things in all of us here today. So let's look back at verse one. In the world... Hey, don't believe everything you hear. Be discerning. Look at, look at verse 1 uh, in, the, in the ESV. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. The message puts it this way. Don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers in the world. 
That was true then. It's true now. So what's the situation? Let me, if you're, you're here and you haven't been part of this series previously, or maybe you are, but you can't remember some of the background. Who are these false prophets who have gone out into the world? That's an important phrase. They've gone out. There was this group of people that was in these churches and then they went out. And that's probably who's being referred to here. Look back in chapter Two, he says in verse 18, children, it's the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming and now many Antichrists have come. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Okay, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were professing Christians. They were teaching. They were living the Christian life. They were professing to be like them and then they went out from them because they weren't of them. So this is a warning to these churches that as those people have gone out, but they're still teaching, think about it, they've gone out, but that doesn't mean they necessarily moved away. You might still be working with one of them in your trade guild. They might still be a neighbor for you. You might still be involved seeing them in the marketplace and and, and they're still teaching and they have a message to bring in. Jesus himself warned us about these kinds of situations. He says in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament were constantly dealing with these false prophets. Jeremiah 29, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. False prophets, false teachers have always been a problem for God's people because there's an enemy. There's an antichrist. There's an anti-God being, the devil, who is constantly spewing lies. The problem with false prophets is this. They don't advertise that they're false. Right? They don't come with warning labels saying, if you listen to me, you're going to regret it later. These false prophets, these pastor teachers who were faulty, they were faulty in a number of different ways. They were saying things like, back in chapter 2, we saw, whoever says, I know Christ, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. So they were saying, well, you can be a Christian, you don't have to keep the commandments of Jesus. Or they were saying things like in chapter 2, verse 9, whoever says he's in the light, the light of the kingdom of Christ, and hates his brother is still in darkness. So that's another thing they were saying. They were saying, hey, look, you don't have to get along with other Christians. You don't even have to like other Christians. But you can still be a Christian. So they were faulty in what they were teaching about those things. But here, they're faulty in what they're teaching about who Jesus really is, the facts about Jesus. So how can they discern How can we discern? How can we test the spirits? How can we discern which teachers are of the Spirit of God and which are not? How can you discern this? How do you figure this out? Well, one important way is what's right here in front of us in verses 2 and 3. Hold fast to the facts about Jesus. Learn them. Meditate on them. Memorize them. And hold tightly to them. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. Here's the doctrinal test. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world already. So in this case, the test that's needed is the test of the incarnation, what we were just celebrating at Christmas time, that the Son of God, eternally second person of the Trinity, became flesh, was incarnate, came in the flesh into the world. John began this letter this way for no doubt precisely these reasons. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, just like you can see me and hear me, we could, I could give you a high five right now. He's saying, that's what he did with Jesus. He knows who Jesus is and what Jesus was about because he was there. He was an eyewitness, and he wasn't the only one. He says, that life, Jesus Christ, he wasn't like everybody else. He was unlike everybody else. That life, he says, was eternal life. It was the eternal life of God incarnate in a boy who was born of the Virgin Mary. This wasn't just a mirage. This wasn't just a hologram. This didn't just appear to be the case. No, Jesus Christ came as the Son of God in the flesh. Now, the person and work of Christ, here's a little little slice of the person and work of Christ. The person and work of Christ is always of central and vital importance in Christianity. If you lose track of who Jesus is and what he has done, his heart for his people and for the world. If you lose track of those things, you won't have Christianity anymore. You'll have something else. In this situation, the focus is on the physical incarnation of Jesus. And the physical incarnation of Jesus is one of the primary, essential, non-negotiable doctrines of Christianity. Many have denied this, still do. They say things like, well, it doesn't really matter if he was really a person, what matters is it's the Christ of faith. It's just what you believe about him. It doesn't really matter if he lived and died. What matters is that you have faith. It's your faith that really matters. Others might say, well, he started out as a human, but somewhere along the way, he, he somehow transcended to becoming divine later. And you know, John is saying, don't listen to people who say things like that. Test the spirits. The divine Son of God became fully human and remains that way forever. When John says he has come in the flesh, that's a carefully chosen grammatical construction. It's the perfect tense in the Greek. The perfect tense in the Greek means something happened in the past that, has, that carries forward to the present and has present implications. So when he says he has come in the flesh, that means he's still in the flesh. He rose in a resurrection body and is clothed in that body eternally, for 
ever. Those are the facts about Jesus Christ. To deny these facts is to deny the gospel itself because right here in chapter 4 and verse 14, it says God sent his son to be the savior of the world. He could only be the savior of the world by coming into the world incarnate, born of Mary in the flesh. Errors about Jesus don't just happen randomly. There's a design behind them. There's a deceiver. Do you know that God has an enemy? Jesus has an enemy. His people have an enemy. He's a deceiver, a liar. He's the evil one, the devil. In chapter 5, John says, the world lies in his power. That's why there's tribulation in the world for believers. Because the world lies in his power. He is anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. And he's continually spreading blatant lies about Jesus and Christianity or little half-truths that derail about Jesus. So we must test the spirits. We must listen carefully to what pastors and teachers say about Jesus. Mormons, for example, claim to be Christians, but they believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, that he started out that way and progressed to deity in the spirit world. And we need to say, humbly and with love in our hearts, that's false teaching, that's not Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was not divine and is not part of the Trinity, a triune God. We want to say that's false teaching. That's not Christianity. These aren't things that are negotiable. These aren't things that we, we can, well, respectfully disagree about. We always want to be respectful, but we want to say that's not Christianity to teach those things. Now, over the centuries, the church has had to fight these battles over and over, especially battles related to the person and work of Christ, which is why we want to study church history. We want to be educated about what the Spirit has done in these battles in the past. We want to learn from what the Christians learned from the Spirit through the Word during those times. That's why it's worth studying, and at some point we, we want to get going as a church, uh, I, I hope, with, with learning the Nicene Creed. That, that was a battle about the Trinity, one God in three persons. The Chalcedonian formula is a battle about what we see right here in front of us. What was Jesus really like? Fully divine? Fully human? How can that be? One person in two natures is, is, is how they, they, they came to describe that. We want to learn these formulas, these creeds, these confessions and study them and benefit from them. But we want to be a people who test the spirits in our day as well. So I urge you, the pastors and teachers of this church are accountable to you to faithfully proclaim Jesus in full divinity and full humanity and never tolerate or settle for anything less than that here. Test the spirits. Test those who teach you. There is an avalanche of teaching available to Christians today, isn't there? Pastor Google is everybody's favorite pastor, it seems like. Got a question? Google it. What? Well, I want to I, I just say, if you have questions about the Christian life and you Google a question and you get, end up on YouTube or a blog post, what do you know about that person that you're listening to? What do you know about their life, their character, their doctrine? 
Maybe you follow a worship band or worship ministry, and through that, you get led to sermons. What do you know about that person's life, about what that person's teaching is? How do you test the spirits, the books that you read about the Christian life? Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. So let us tenaciously hold to the facts about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, revealed by the Spirit in Scripture, and in the world, in the midst of tribulation, testing the spirits, trying to sort things out, God has for you this morning, for you at home, for you here this morning, God has a word of great encouragement. Do you need encouragement today? Do you need some hope this morning? Do you feel discouraged, depressed, down? This is a wonderful word from God for you at this time. Remember who is in you. Not just with you, in you. Look back at the text. Look at verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Did you hear that? Are you a Christian? Do you know that's true for you? This is the Holy Spirit's word to you this morning. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let that settle in. See, the situation of these people getting this letter It's just like the situation of Christians in all places, in all times. We have conflict, right? In the world, you'll have tribulation. John says it this way in verse 5. He says, they're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. What's the viewpoint of the world? You live in the world. What's the viewpoint of the world? The world, we saw back in chapter 2, is full of desires and wants that are anti-God. The world is a place of darkness. It's under the power of the evil one. And John reminded us back in chapter 2, don't love this world in the sense of participating and giving yourself to it because it's passing away. It's temporary. It looks nice. It's attractive. It's seductive. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's going to be gone before you know it. And John tells us here that this world is like this self-reinforcing echo chamber of life without God as king. Right? There's this, they're from the world, they speak from the world, the world listens to them. There's this dialogue that's going on from outside, from under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it goes on over and over. And in that world, sometimes the world makes fun of Christianity and Christians like you. Sometimes life in that self-reinforcing echo chamber gets overt in its persecution and sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it blames Christians for the problems of the day. Sometimes it just says sort of sneering things about, oh, evangelical Christians this or evangelical Christians that. Sometimes it's things like, well, 
you follow your truth about Jesus, that's, that's fine. But that's a private thing, and you keep that off to yourself. Don't be bringing that stuff over here into the public square where the rest of us are. That's life in the world. That's how it works. Christians are in the world, but no longer from the world, so it shouldn't be surprising that we seem strange or out of step because we have a set of desires and loves that have been transformed by King Jesus. We're different. We were of the world and from the world and we've been born again into a new kingdom. We have a new life. We have a new heart. We have a new set of desires. So now we have a new set of ears too. Look at verse six. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What's he saying? Whoever knows God listens to us. That seems pretty arrogant, doesn't it? Hey, if, if you listen to me, that's the litmus test, whether you're really a Christian or not. You listen to me or not. How can John say that? I, I, that, that would be pretty arrogant if, if, if I said that to you this morning. Because that wouldn't be fully true of me because I'm a fallen human being. How can, how can John say this? Here's how he can say this. John was an apostle and an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that apostolic witness carried out through John and his fellow apostles and preserved for us in the New Testament. That is God's standard and God's word to us. That is, the, those are the words of the kingdom to God's people and to all who will have ears to hear. So he can say, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever knows God listens to this, this apostolic preservation of the person work of Christ that we call our New Testaments built on the Old Testament. And so in this world, we can have confidence because we have truth in front of us preserved for us here in this book. And we can have confidence even more than that, that that truth isn't just preserved for us, but it's activated into our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit who now lives in you. How does the Spirit work to strengthen and protect believers in the world? How does the Spirit work? Well, there are a lot of things we could say, but the thing we have to say from this passage is this. He comes to live in you. That's pretty helpful, isn't it? How quickly I forget this. How my life could be different day to day and hour by hour if I could remember this fact. He is in me. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater. Think about this Holy Spirit who's come to live in you. Chew on this for a moment. The Spirit points us to what is true. The Spirit exposes what is false. The Spirit teaches us about Christ. The Spirit puts the spotlight on Christ. The Spirit fills us with the unlimited power of God, the Spirit exposes the scam that this world is the only world or the best world. The Spirit is so much greater than the devil and any other power in this world. Greater is he who is in you than anyone and anything that's in this world. That's God's word to us. Listen, by the Spirit's power, the greatest physical act of creation that ever occurred took place. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. By the Spirit's power, Jesus overcame the devil. 
before he fought with the devil in the wilderness, he was filled with the Spirit at his baptism. By the Spirit's power, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that same Spirit is in you, brothers and sisters in Christ. Reading through the book of Acts, my daily Bible reading. Acts chapter 9. Saul, who's persecuting the church, caused that persecution that resulted in all these people having to leave Jerusalem. He's on his way to a city. He gets knocked down by a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. He's prayed for a couple days later. He's baptized and filled with the Spirit. And what happens? This guy who knows the Scriptures backwards and forwards, he knows the Scriptures better than anybody here knows or will ever know the Scriptures. All of a sudden, he reads the Scriptures and he sees they're about Jesus. And so instead of reading the Scriptures and saying, we've got to persecute and destroy this cult, these followers of Jesus, he flips it completely and he becomes maybe the greatest evangelist the church has ever known. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. He's proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And now he's the one who's going to be persecuted. How does that happen? It happens because the Holy Spirit comes to live in him. And that same Spirit is in you. Fear not. Be of good cheer. That same Spirit is in you. So we live in the world. We don't love the world with the love of participation or imitation. But since God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, so we too go into the world saying these people, they're not our enemies. This is God's mission to reach these people just as he reached us. We're no different. And so we go into the world with the love of Christ to proclaim this good news of a better kingdom, of a kingdom where you can be washed and cleansed and have certainty and assurance of the most important things in life. Oh, church, what an opportunity we have. 2022 is dawning and people are discouraged. It's a gloomy prospect to the year. The world is disheartened. Sometimes the world is unhelpfully optimistic. Now I think it's unhelpfully pessimistic. But what an opportunity for us. People are afraid. People are despairing. People are angry. People are fatigued. People are experiencing anxiety. People are depressed. People are weary and frustrated. And we have all the power of the Spirit of Christ living in us. He can produce in us, in you, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience. What wonderful things to have and what a light, what a witness to the people around you and what an opportunity to invite them to come to know this same Jesus who can come by his spirit to live in their hearts and transform them so that they can have a hope that never perishes. That's our opportunity in the world that we live in. We have what the world longs for but lacks. True confidence, real hope, joy that is everlasting. Knowing and being known by God our Creator.
So where do we find ourselves today? We still live in the world, don't we? You don't need me to remind you or inform you of that. You know that, you knew that coming in. We're still experiencing tribulation. We need tools to engage that and hope and confidence in the midst of it and a sense of a mission to go out into this world. And we have that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead living in you. Let me just say as an aside before we transition to the Lord's Supper, battles like this that John was fighting there, every generation has its battles. Every group of Christians in every place have particular battles. Battles for what the Christian life looks like and particularly battles for what it means to be a Christian, what doctrines are true. What's the battle that we're facing today? Well, there are a number. But I think one of the greatest battles that's in front of us that we're we're engaged in today, one of the greatest challenges to us as Christians is the battle over anthropology. What does it mean to be a human being? There's a great deal in play in our culture today. What does it mean to be male or female? Gender. What does it mean to be made in the image of God or are we here by random chance? What is sexuality all about? Marriage, family. These are foundational things to what it means to live out life as human beings. And Genesis 1 to 3 is the anchor for those things in scripture. So in a couple months, we're going to go through a series to try to get better equipped to engage our world in this place of, of challenge for us today. In the world, let us test the Spirit's Let us be confident that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. With that in mind, we're going to have the Lord's Supper now. If you didn't get one of the uh, cups, they're available in the back of the room downstairs and middle of the room upstairs. I'm reading Ezra 6 in my devotions right now, and are are reading through Ezra. In Ezra 6, they, they began to rebuild the temple after 70 years of being away. And you know what they did as they were rebuilding the temple? They celebrated the Passover. As I read my Old Testament, I find one of the themes of revival is when revival happens, they, they, they celebrate the Passover. The Passover gets set aside and then they remember and begin to return to it. What is the Passover? Why would they celebrate the Passover? If you know your Old Testament history, you can go back to Exodus and learn that Passover is the moment when God brought Israel from slavery in Egypt out and set them free and the night of the Passover was the night when they took the blood of a lamb and put it over the doors of their houses so that when the angel of death passed through the nation all those houses with the blood of the lamb over those doors those places were spared and every other place the firstborn died they were saved by grace by the blood of a lamb and then they were told don't forget Remember this and do it every year. And Jesus comes as our Passover lamb. We're saved from slavery to sin by his blood. We're saved from eternal death, condemnation by his blood. By his death, we are set free to be God's people, to represent him as ambassadors in the world. So as we remember that redeeming grace, it's come to us in Christ. He gave us a way to remember. It's called the Lord's Supper, communion. So we're going to do that now. If you're a Christian, 
don't have to be a member of this church to participate. You're welcome to join in. If you're not a Christian, this is kind of a family meal. And we would encourage you not to participate in this until you're part of the family of God. But we would encourage you to really think about your life and its stability and where you find yourself in the world and where your hopes really are. And consider the claims of Jesus Christ to be your king. As you take the bread, I remind you, if I can get mine loose here, I remind you of Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrificed for you. Take and eat. And the cup, by the blood of Christ, your Passover lamb, the angel of death has passed by you. You've been given eternal life. The Spirit of God has come to dwell in you. You will be with him forever. Take and drink. And now let's stand and sing to our great King.
great is our God. How great is our God. There's a day coming when all will see how great he is. All of creation will sing his praise. But now we get to go out in the world and remember, greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. And we go out with the spirit with us to live our lives to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. If you are interested in For the Nations, the room, meeting is in room 202. If you are visiting or would like to learn how you can get connected here, I'll be in room 102 at the Connect reception with a, a few of our members if you'd like to talk further about how you can get involved here. But for all of us, as we go into the world this week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go into the world with the glory of Jesus Christ in your hearts and make him known. Amen. Oh uh -huh.